we wanted to like, uh, you know, just like add to our, our thoughts, the learning that should be nishmat the kadoshim that we lost in the last uh, short period of time. And um, I have to say that I can't like stop thinking about this, you know, these two sets of brothers um, that were killed. And to me, it's, it's very, it's very symbolic. It's very symbolic. You know, um, Yosef says that the Chaya Nofima Bakesha, I'm looking for my brothers. And, you know, we're living in a, in a, in a difficult time, time where um, there is, you know, a terrible disunity in the nation. And, um, you know, we are brothers. And this particular story is such a difficult story. And it's such a story about, you know, um, civil war. The tragedy that plays out in chapter 19 that we talked about the, the, uh, the rape and murder of the concubine of the Levy. This is going to now in chapter 20, which we're gonna to do tonight, this is going to expand into, basically it's going to be a national tragedy. And it's a very, very um, sad story because uh, a civil war is always a terrible thing, and we have to always avoid that. You know, uh, one of one of the features of this, um, the last five chapters, and we spoke about it. I think the screen share. Yeah. Okay. So. If you recall, and I've done this a few times, I've shown this to you, that Sefer Shoftim has the third, three parts, the introduction, the chronological history of the judges, and the two stories at the end that show the spiritual decline at this time. So the first one we did is Pesel Micha, and, that, and that's where the, you know, Micha sets up this like shrine, a, uh, an idolatrous shrine, very, very confused worship situation. And, and now we have the story, and that, that shrine is stolen by the tribe of Don. And now we have the, the story of the Pelegish Begiva, the, the, the rape and murder of this Pelegish, and you know what happens afterwards. And these stories are, you know, there's many features to these stories. Number one, chronologically, they're not. Uh, they're not defined, and most of the Farshim put them at the beginning of the time of the Shoftim. It's kind of a definition of what's wrong with Sefer Shoftim. And another big problem we have with them is that they are, um, they are stories where basically we're not dealing with enemies. You see, we have the cycle of Shoftim here that we've gone through many times. We're always dealing with our enemies. Unfortunately, in this case, we are our own worst enemies. And, uh, you know, uh, Pasek says, those who destroy you and um, corrupt and, and ruin you will come from you. There's many interpretations of that. Pasek is just one, one interpretation, but you have to realize that we, you know, we very often are our own worst enemies. There's nobody here chasing us. It's just Jews against Jews. And that's, that's the real sad part. There's a very, very long parrot, so we'll get right into it. Okay, the first um, 
I like you to see this this breakdown here. This is the um, the gathering when when uh, let's just recap for a second. So this Levi comes to take back his concubine after they've had some kind of spat, and he takes him from Beit Lechem on the way towards uh, their home in. Here, they're, they're at Beit Lechem, she's from Yehuda, and he's on the way back to uh, Harafrayim here in the Shiloh area, and they stop on the way at Giva, at Giva here, and uh, they don't want to stop at Yavuz because that's not a Jewish town, they stop in Giva, and no one will take them in except this old man who actually is a, uh, not a resident, he's not a native of this town, and uh, he's from Harafrayim as well. And uh, they, you know, they're with this man. He's feeding them and taking care of them. And then the, the residents of Giva gather some evil men. And they insist that the hosts give out this levy. Um, they want to rape him. And um, this is very, very reminiscent of the story of Stone. And uh, the host, you know, in a fit of hospitality. He says, oh, I'll give you my virgin daughter or take his pilegish, which is just another form of perversion. We talked about this last time. And the man, in a panic, takes his pilegish, a very devoted husband, and he throws her out. The mob, you know, seize upon her. That's not what they wanted, but they seize her and they uh, torture her all night long. She manages to get back to the house of the uh, old man, but on the way, it's all been too much for her, and she seems to um, die from the abuse and the exposure. And he divides up her body, sends it all over the country to 12 pieces. And we have to ask ourselves here, because it's going to be very, very critical. Does he send a piece to the tribe of Binyamin? It would seem like if he sends it to 12 tribes, that he sends to Binyamin as well. But this is not exactly clear which tribes. But there is a tremendous, at the end of chapter 19, there's a tremendous outpouring of outrage. See here. This is the last Pasuk in Yatet. We never saw such a thing. It's a horrible thing. What are we going to do? So the beginning of, of Parakhaf, okay, I just, just wanted to show you here, the division here. We have the gathering of B'nai Israel, an unprecedented gathering of 400,000 people. I remember if the Jews came out of Egypt, it was 600,000 men. Now we've got 400,000 men. There was no gathering this large in all of Sefer Yoshu and all of Sefer Shoptim. And then we have the Testimony of the Levi, the next section from Gimel to Yud Aleph. The first two psukim is the gathering, and from Gimel to Yud Aleph, they bring the Levi and they say, Tell us what happened. From Yud Bet to Tet Zion, they confront Binyamin and say, Give us the evildoers. And from Yud Bet to Tet Zion, 12 to 16, Binyamin says, No. And then the war begins. And uh, 17 to 23, there's the first defeat. The Jews are defeated, and Binyamin wins. And then 
24 to 29, Binyamin wins again. And then verse 30, finally, the, the great gathering of Jews, they win. And, um, and then at the end, it's just a tragedy that's happened in Israel, the, the destruction of the Shevet of Binyamin and what, what's going to happen there. So it's a very, very tragic story. So let's start here. Okay, by Pasuk Aleph. They all gather like one man. Where have we heard Ke'ishachad before? We've heard that only in Matan Torah. Like one man. They, the Jews are so united. They're so outraged by this story that they gather together. Dan, all the way in the north where the Shevet Dan has conquered Laish. And that's the northernmost part to Be'er Sheva, which is the southernmost part. Eretz HaGilad on the east side. They all come to Mitzvah. Now, where is Mitzvah? There's our map. Mitzvah is over here. It's a little bit north of Giva. It's on the West Bank. And there's a lot of discussion about Mitzvah. There's a number of places in the country that are called Mitzvah, by the way. Um, and Mitzvah is, seems to be the... the a gathering place of the Jews for all kinds of important events. And um, it, it, it seems that it's like Shiloh is kind of very far north here. Maybe they should have gone to Shiloh because that was where, you know, the Mishkan was, but they gather at Mitzvah. And the Radak says any place where so many Jews gather has its own holiness to Hashem. Okay. Classic bet. So this is the, the amount of people. They gathered all the corners of the nation, which is a strange phrase, all the tribes of Israel, a great congregation to God. So there's a lot of references to Hashem here. It seems as if they're... they're Intention is to do something to serve God. Okay, and there's 400,000 men, Ragli infantry, who will who are able to carry a sword. Now, Rashi says the Pino Ta'am, and most of fortune follow him. It's very interesting. Pino are really corners, we say, but Pina here, they Rashi says is the chiefs, the leaders, all the leaders, and the leaders. Um, the important ones, we say, you know, it doesn't sound Pina as a corner there, the Rosh Pina, the, 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 the uh, main high thing. So on the other hand, their Bible is an interesting theory. He says, they were still in groups, everyone in their own Pina, which is very interesting. Okay, but you have this massive, massive gathering. I mean, I don't think any of us have ever seen a gathering that large, like talking about almost a half a million people. It's, it's insane. But the, the anger and the outrage is so great. This is one of the things that we can say about the Jewish people. The Jewish people are moral people. Such a, an atrocity does not sit well. This is not something that we could just say, well, you know, that's a shame that that happened. <laughs> They're going to put a stop to this. Now, <clears throat> don't forget the theme, the theme of these five last chapters is 
בימים ההם אין מלך בישראל. In those days it was called king in Israel. איש הישר בין נביא עשה. Every man did what was straight in their own eyes. So the Malbim has a very interesting theory, he says. In the absence of a king, in the absence of leadership, in order to make a, um, to do a ma'aseh, to do something, right? It has to be that the Jewish people as a whole function instead of a king. So that's the idea here of the immense gathering, which we see here. It's very, very strange that there should be so many people gathered. Okay, let's go on. Okay. וישמעו בני בנימין, פרסי גימל, כי אלו בני ישראל המצווה, ויאמרו בני ישראל דברו, איך נהייתה הרעה הזאת? And there's two parts to this פרסי, it's a strange פרסי, because the first part is talking about the בני בנימין heard that, they, that the uh, uh, children of Israel got, gathered at מצווה. And that seems to be, I'm just checking this in the text, yeah. That's a full stop. That's an etnachta under the mitzvah. The children of Binyamin heard that Bnei Israel went up to mitzvah, period. And Bnei Israel said, tell us how this evil thing happened. So what's the connection between the two parts of this pasuk? It seems to be saying that the Bnei Binyamin are aware of everything that's happening. And that's a very important thing to know. So there I, I went back to the question of, did they get a piece of this poor girl's body? And it seems like they did. There's a town in Binyamin that's called Giva, that that's where the perpetrators are from. But there's a whole Shevet there. And the question is, what is the Shevet gonna do with this situation? So the Shevet hears this whole gathering and they're gonna find out everything that happened, right? And, um, there's going to be a discussion here. I think the first thing we have to remember, and because we're coming up to Purim, Esther says, Queen Esther, we have to learn from here that there is a, there is a strength in unity in our, um, in our world. We generally, you know, Jews, they say, you know, two Jews, three shuls. Jews are not known for being, you know, um, that's something unusual. It's something that, and, and you know, if you live in Israel, you find that the unity that happens most often happens when we're under threat. And, um, and that's a very, very terrible tragedy. And we have to remember that, you know, our being united is very great to Kodesh Baruch Hu, you know, mashal amad of our domain. Any parent, any parent knows that when their kids are fighting, it's, it's a very painful situation. And the older the kids are who are fighting, the more painful it is. You know, when little kids are squabbling, big deal. But pity the poor parents whose children haven't spoken to each other for years. And I always hear these stories, especially um, tragic, you know, from my students that they're, you know, that this one doesn't speak to that one. This is going on for years. and. You know, I once uh, told my father about a big chesed that one of my children had done for another child, long story. And I said, you know, this gives me incredible nachas to, to see how my children help each other out. And, you know, and 
I said to him, like, isn't that like the most special nachas? He totally agreed with me. I said, like, I think of it as how HaKadosh Baruch Hu will relate to us. Like, we're his children. We're supposed to be brothers. We're supposed to be getting along. And that's something that gives Hashem nachas the same way it gives us nachas when our children take care of each other. Uh, something to think about. And um, in this case, it's just, it's so tragic that what unites the people is a, a horror, a horrible reason for their unity. And it's going to have a horrible result because it's not, oh, it's not entire unity. It's a un unity against Binyamin. So the first thing they do is they, they, they gather. Binyamin is aware that things are happening. And they say, tell us how this evil thing happened. And they're speaking to the lady. And the lady spoke up. The man who was the husband of the murdered woman. And this is really sad. I mean, this is just sad. Like we finally uh, find out that, you know, he's told that he's the husband of this woman. You know, finally, he's acting like a husband. He's, he's defending her honor. But, you know, when, when push came to shove, he treated her like worse than dirt. But now this is his status. He is is an interesting guy, this lady, because he, he has no moral courage when his own uh, well-being is threatened. But now he's an instigator. Now he's like, we have to put a stop to this. This has to happen. Now his, his courage is up. And he's getting everybody together. I, we came to Giba, he says, me and my concubine, and they rose up against me, the masters of Giba. He here indicates that the people who perpetrated this crime were important people, leaders in Giba. They were the masters of Giba. And I think that's something that like struck me looking at that phrase that Balea give up might be a reason why, even though it was evil people who did this thing, nobody else interfered. Now, when we come to Stone, and I showed you what happened in Stone, right here. The people of Stone, when they gathered, were the men of stone, from young to old, all the nation, from every end of the city. Now, in the in the case of the Pelegish Begiva, it's B'nai Blial. And it's interesting, you know, it struck me as if the people who were the, the instigators and the people who committed this crime, if they were important people and they were they were not nice people and they were tough. That might explain why no one interfered to me. In other words, sounds like, you know, a shtickle like the mafia. Like, you know, they don't, you don't mess with those guys. So he says, those guys, they got up. They surrounded the house at night. This is Bus K. They wanted to kill me, but they took my Pelegish. They tormented her and she died. This is like a very interesting kind of whitewashed version of what actually happened, which just shows you what kind of guy. Like this is actually, um, it's sort of understandable. Like he's not gonna say anything 
that shows how bad he was and how culpable he is in this whole story. He whitewashes that. He emphasizes that they wanted to kill him. And okay, right? They have to, um, you know, they have to understand what was going on here was an attempt at homosexual rape, which didn't happen. He said, they would have killed me, right? A very big disgrace. And he says, my Pelegish, they tormented her and she died. Now you have to think about that, right? Um, he leaves out such important parts of the story. He leaves out the fact that he threw her out. He leaves out the, out the fact that she probably died of exposure. He didn't bring her in. Now, they wanted to kill me, but they took her and tortured her and she died. Very, very. Now, really, if this was a, a, a correct trial, there would be some cross-examination there would be witnesses. There would be people from Binyamin brought in and saying, okay, tell us what happened in your end, right? And if you really wanted to, you could sort of try to um, justify the situation. Now he's called the, the husband of this woman. Now, if you wanna look at this, you know, the sin that they did, okay, they wanted to do homosexual rape, but that's Gila Arias, but if she's a married woman, and according to some, according to uh, Malbim, I believe, this indicates that there was a kiddushin there, that she is an Aishas Ish. So they're actually, they're guilty of the, that kind of gilaris. Then they're guilty. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible, you know, egregious public sin. It's, it's a number of people. And um, it's all in public. So... The Malbim says it's, it's uh, you know, there's many, many parts of the crime here, but he's saying they, they might have killed me, right? He doesn't talk about why, what, you know, why they were there and what happened to Shalette, like he, he, he threw her out. But he says, I grabbed her, I cut her up, I sent her to every field and every uh, inheritance in Israel because they did zimas. He was an abomination. And Nivala is a disgusting thing. You're all Jewish people, right? You're a holy nation. You have to do something about this outrage. Okay. So you, ha you have to uh, take care of this situation. You cannot allow, uh, be allowed to go on. Right? This, do something. Do something. Now, we have this sort of... Uh, uh -oh. Okay. Pasuk Chet. Again, the unity here. It's so tragic. It's so misplaced. They, they say, we're never going to go home. We're not going to go back home until this is dealt with. And this is the thing we have to do. Forgive we have to make a goral. Now, the goral is a little strange. It's not so clear what the goral is about, but okay. Pasigut. 
לקחת סדר לעם, לעשות לבואם לגבר בנימין, ככל הנבלה אשר עשה בישראל. We're going to take out of this huge crowd, right, one man out of ten, ten out of a hundred, a hundred out of a thousand, and a thousand out of ten thousand, right? One-tenth of the people, right? Shehem Yechud Seidah, the Mitzvah says, they're going to take care of the provisions. We never saw this in any previous battle, but it seems that if they want to make sure, but perhaps that's what the, the lottery is about. It's very unclear. But the idea is they're going to set up provisions because this is going to be a long haul. We are in it for the long haul. We are going to fi fix this thing and we're not going home until it's taken care of. That's the attitude. Okay. They all gather to the city to give up like one man, Chaberim. And again, Chaberim is a very strange phrase here. Like they're all united. They're so united. This is like so, to me, it's such a tragedy. This is your unity. Your unity is because you're going to start a civil war. But they are determined to deal with the atrocity with this, you know, really horrific crime and you know that that's the part that that's the the admirable part that's the part where you know Jewish people could not put up with this sort of you know uh, egregious disgusting behavior and don't forget we're skirting on the edge of Sodom right Sodom behavior God destroyed Sodom you know uh, Lot was saved from this outrage by the angels, by Kadesh Baruch Hu, but God destroyed the whole city because of that terrible crime. And we spoke about this last time, I think so, but I think that we have to remember that um, in stone, as opposed to give up, if we're going to make our trial, okay, we're going to make our trial, we're going to try to mitigate the sin of Binyamin, okay? So the Ramban does this, and a number of them first, like, what, how can we minimize what the evil was. Number one, Stone had in institutionalized cruelty. This wasn't a bunch of, you know, lustful, out, out of control, uh, brutal people. This was institutionalized. And Stone, if you had a guess, the guess was fair game. So they, it wasn't institutionalized, just some bad guys, okay? Then they didn't actually commit a homosexual act, then you could say that the Pigelegesh was not exactly a wife. You could say they had no intention of killing her. If this went to court, there might be some way of, you know, defending them. I'm not saying that I would agree, but this is how things would play out. And again, we have to remember, there's no king in Israel, there's no justice, there's no setup. And so there's going to be what we call Mob justice, and here is where things get complicated. First of all, Chaberim. I just want to just emphasize that word, Chaberim. So um, they were all united. There's another uh, discussion in the um, in the Gemara about Chaberim in terms of can you trust the other person? Can you trust their kashrut? Can you trust that they're tahor? 
and if they are chave rim, then you can. Not to get into the details of that Gemara, but the idea is they are completely united, completely of one mind. So the first step is to consult with Binyamin, and this is correct. They send, the, the tribes of Israel send people in all the tribes of Binyamin, which means there were, um, five, there were 10 families. I mean, Binyamin had 10 sons, and um, they say, what is this evil thing that happened among you? That seems fair enough, but now give us these bad guys from Giva and we will kill them. We will destroy, we will um, root out and destroy evil from Israel. And now that's the full stop in the Gimel. This particular edition doesn't have Trump, but yeah, that's a full stop. Because the second half of the Pesach is the reaction of Binyamin. The law of Binyamin say, no, 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 no. And this is where we have, what on earth are you doing? Why would Binyamin say no? Would an entire tribe defend such sinners? Is that a possible scenario? How can we understand the refusal of B'nai Binyamin to cooperate? So I think we have to look first of all at, um, again, I, I emphasize again, there are many, many problems with the time of the judges. And one of them is that it's my tribe, my tribe. It's my problem and I will deal with it. Now, many Mepharshim discuss this issue and is not a simple issue, okay? Who is supposed to deal with this situation in a time when the tribes were run by tribal leaders? So ostensibly, it should be the tribe itself that deals. It should be them. Their leaders are the ones that have responsibility to call in these guys and you know and and, and make a bait in say this this isn't this is something that cannot happen. But the Benabi Yamin are not interested. And if you want to check it out, look back to how the people speak to Benabi and say, first they say, What is this evil thing that happened amongst you? And then they say, Give us the evil people and we will kill them. So it seems as if. The B'nai B'nyamin are, are um, what's the word, they're angered by the tone and by the demand because their feeling is, hey, we'll take care of it ourselves. Who are you? Who are you to tell us what to do? Who do you think you are? And there we go a little ego, a little pride, and a lot of trouble. And that is a very, very sad situation. Very, very sad, right? Oh, so much trouble, a big lesson for us. So much trouble can happen 
when we don't communicate properly, when we don't give the other person the benefit of the doubt, when we um, avoid dealing with situations, you know, in a, in a civilized manner, it's like, really, really, this is like, you know, a jungle. What do you mean? The Torah gives us a mitzvah of tochah. We forgive someone rebuke. What does that mean? Let's say there's a, there's a fight between two people. You're supposed to rebuke the person. But Rav Yaakov, my husband's grandfather, Rav Yaakov Kamensky says, there has to be this kind of discussion. The person who gets the rebuke has to feel that you gave them a gift. You have to give it over with such love and such consideration that they feel honored and let's say you would come to the B'nai and say, listen, we have this really serious problem. You know, the Levy is coming and telling us that this, you know, gang rape and murder happened on your watch. What are we going to do about it? How do you plan to deal with it? This is your people. Perhaps there might have been a different reaction. I'm just asking, maybe. Because they said, this is a horrible thing that happened. What is this thing that happened? Give us the bad people, we'll kill them. What gives you the right to kill them? Who do you think you are to tell us what to do? And it's a very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. Now, first of all, we also have a, a Torah law that says, You must be pure. And that means if you've done something wrong, or if people think you've done something wrong, you have to tell people, no, it wasn't me, or it, was, it happened that way. You should not allow people to think badly of you. So the B'nai B'nyomen should have. They heard that everyone's gathered and talking about it. They know that it's a big tataram. They should call up the, their own leaders. They should go out you know, proactively to this huge guy and say, listen, this whole thing happened. We don't approve of it. We're going to deal with it. Go home. They, if they wanted to be doing that mitzvah, they should have come forward. They heard, they knew what was going on. But they, no, 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 don't tell us what to do. And that's where the ego comes in. And that's where the problems come in. We saw back in the story of Yiftach, when they, he's challenged by the Bnei Ephraim, he says, who the heck do you think you are? And that, that was our first civil war. 42,000 people of Ephraim were killed. You see huge, massive numbers of dead Jews because of some ego. It's very shocking. Now look here, the, the Barmanel says, Binyamin was supposed to take care of it, right? B'nai Israel had serious concerns. The Barmanel lists four concerns. And he goes, number one, there is no king in Israel. So who is gonna judge this case? Number two, Jews are not like other nations. We are all Arabians, we are all responsible for each other. We cannot let such a thing go. Number three, this is not an ordinary crime. It's, it's horrible, it's an atrocity, it's egregious. Number four, we can't be in the same category as stone. That's a Hashem. And therefore the Bnei had a right to be concerned. And Bnei and Binyamin should have taken care of it. They should have said, okay, okay. You're right, we'll take care of it, but they don't, right? And then Malbim says, they were had the din of Ionidacha, the forsaken city. They should have, the, the Bnei had the right 
to do this because they were, it was such a public disgraceful uh, abomination and so many people did it so that this would have been, it would have been correct for them to deal with it. But the Ramban says, no, the children of Israel were wrong. They should not have uh, done this. They should have said, Binyamin, you must deal. And this is our, uh, one of our things we have to learn. You know, you have to talk this out. Binyamin can get up and say, what do you mean you're going to kill them? We'll kill them. But Binyamin's reaction is totally different. Look at your Dalit. They say, okay, you know, we're going to fight you. Why? Why don't you deal with this? What you, if you can't say this is, this is not a defensible crime. You could say, well, well, maybe it's not as bad as stone, but you can't say nothing happened. But they say, no, our tribe first, our tribal loyalties first. You can't start up with us. And Binyamin, they are very, very great warriors, Pasuk Tetvach. And the Binyamin counted from their cities, 26,000 men, warriors carrying a sword, besides the people of Giva, who counted 700 choice men. Pasuk Tetzayim, Mikol Amazeh, Shibama od ish bachur iter yadimino. Now, if you recall back in chapter three, we had the story of Ehud ben Gera, who was from Binyamin. He was a very mighty warrior, Ehud. Israelis love that name because it's not, it's a macho warrior. So Ehud was also a lefty. Isn't it funny that the tribe of Benyamin, the son of the right, produces so many left-handed people? It's actually funny. But there's 700. Now, iter yadimino means the, the right hand doesn't work, which is, you know, it's an expression for a left-handed person. The right hand doesn't work, but the, the left hand is a strong one. Each one of those 700 left-handed men would hit with a stone, which I assume was shot from a slingshot to a hair and never miss. And the word yachti is very interesting because we have to take a lesson from Hebrew. Right? Yachti means to miss. You miss the mark. That's what a chait is. A chait, a sin is always when you miss the mark. Hebrew, I love Hebrew. It's such a great language. Anyway, if you think about uh, a slingshot, but not a slingshot that, you know, like the pictures have, like it's a little bit of a T thing. A slingshot in biblical times was like a piece of leather that you would put the stone, there was like a little pocket for the stone in the middle, and you would like whirl it around and let it go. I don't know how anyone can aim a slingshot. I mean, David did it, but like, it's an unbelievable thing. So these guys were not slouches, 700 expert marksman to hit a hair with a slingshot and never miss. Okay, and they're ready. Why? Why go to war? 400,000 Jews against 26,000 Binyamin. Why? Because they didn't talk to each other. It's very, very sad. And here's where things get a little weird, ladies. 
They go to Beit Zeal. Now, is it really Beit Zeal? Is it Mitzvah? Is it Shiloh? A lot of play with Mepharshim. They go to the house of God, whatever that is. They, their intention is to talk to God. They ask God, They say to God, who will fight first against Binyamin? And Hashem says Yehuda. So let's see what happens, and then we'll come back to this Pasuk. Pasuk and the children of Israel got up in the morning and they camped at Giva. We're running out of time. Okay. The people of Israel went out. They arrayed for battle against Giva. Oh, yeah, it's painful. Benabinim came out of Giva. They fought with the rest of the, the nation, which had Yehuda at the vanguard, and they killed 22,000 on the other side. And the children of Israel strengthened themselves, they encouraged themselves, and they said, okay, we're going to um, go back again tomorrow. But they, they go back to their original Beit um, there wherever they have gathered, and they cry before God till the evening. And they said to God, should I continue going out to war with the, the sons of Binyamin, my brother? And Hashem said, go. So we have to take a look at this because it's very problematic. Theologically, they asked God the first time, right? Who should go up to war? And God says, Yehuda, and they lose and they lose 22,000 people. And the second time they cry and they say, should we go up again against Binyamin? Achi, that's just to me a tremendously poignant Achi, my brother. They're still looking at Achi, that's just like terrible, they're very sad about it. Hashem says, yeah, go fight again. Gets them, The second day of the battle, Chafhei. Disaster, a second defeat for the tribes. A second defeat, another 18,000 men for a grand total of 40,000 dead soldiers. And this is incredible. And the Jewish people could be forgiven for saying, I don't understand. We asked you, should we go out? We asked you, God, should we go out again? And Hashem, and you said yes. And look what happened to us. And the children of Israel went up with all the nation. They came back to this Beit El place, right? And they cried. And they sat there before God and they fasted and they made sacrifices. 
And the Aron was there. Now, that's implying that when they ask a question, it's going to be an answer from Hashem. And Chavchet, right, adds to that. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aron, omed lefanav bayamim ha'ein. Pinchas, Pinchas of fame back in, in, in Sefer Bamidbar for, you know, stopping the, the evil that was happening and getting the, the bracha of peace from God, right? He's there with the Aron. Again, this is one of the reasons that this is usually, this whole story is placed at the beginning of Shoftim. But again, we also say Pinchas lasted a very long time. He lived a very long time. Right, so they have the Aron, they have Pinchas, the Cohen God's all, who is a grandson of Aaron. Aaron is mentioned here. Don't forget in the last story, Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioned. Right? These great people. <clears throat> and look, look what happens. Should we still go out to war against Binyamin? Should we stop? Is this right? Yes, tomorrow I will give them in your hand. So we, we have to stop a second and say, what, what happened here? Right? Why, why does God have them lose? Okay, so there's a number of explanations for this. One of them is here in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, right? Okay, this is Micha. The people of the Pilegish Begiva story were punished. When the entire tribe of Dan when so many people were sinning with the Pesel Micha, you didn't care about my honor, but for the honor of this woman, you're willing to make this whole civil war and all these people die. So God is angry at the Jews. Deal with it. That's one answer. The other answer is they should not have been doing this. We talked about this perhaps because Binyamin is supposed to take care of this. And the other answer, and this is the Mephar should bring out very clearly, and that's why I wanted to skip ahead to this, right, to get you the picture of the story. When they first go out, right, they ask God, what do they ask God? Who will go up first? So God says, Yehuda. But they didn't say, should we? Should we not? They're they asked the question. They had made up their minds. So God said, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You want to go? Let Yehuda go first. Yehuda's always first. Yehuda and Binyamin have an interesting relationship anyway, but that's another story. Yehuda takes care of Binyamin, right? Back in the, in the day when it's this, the, the sons, the originators of the tribe. But the second defeat, they ask, they say, should it continue going out? The third time they say, should I go out or should I stop? But the second time they say, should I go out? And God, and God says, okay, go. 
the third time, and there's also a tremendous difference between the first crying, the first night when they cried and they said, you know, what are we doing? Should we go out again? The second time they're fasting. They're making sacrifices. They're sitting before God. So Pasuk Kavav is indicating there's a real chuba happening here. And God says, okay, tomorrow you're going to win. They made an ambush. But they started up again. We had the same story in I back in, uh, in Yoshua. Binyamin sees them coming out to attack. Is a very passive form. They cut themselves off from the city, and they started striking the other tribes as previously and the day before. They kill 30 men from the other side. They think that it's going to be the same as the previous two days. However, the Bnei Binyamin said, oh, we're going to win again, like we did the, the last day, the day before, right? We're going to run away, but it's going to be a ploy. We'll cut him off from the city to the past. So the children of Israel got up from the ambush that had staked out when the Bnei Binyamin had separated themselves from the city. The ambush attacked the city. So 10,000 men come to attack the city and it's a very tough battle outside and the Binyamin don't know that they're in deep trouble. The, the Bnei Binyamin were, were decimated that day, 25,100 men, uh, wielders of the sword, were killed. And how did this happen? They saw that they're being beaten. And they gave them place to run away because they knew there was an ambush. Very quietly. Right, they hurried, and they spread out a giva, and they um, they um, attacked the city. Right, they blew the shofar and they destroyed the city by the sword. The signal was that the time for the people who were pretending to run away to turn around against Binyamin was when they saw the city have a column of smoke. Because the children of Israel turned 
and Binyamin was striking them, 30 men they killed, because they said oh, they were going to win like we did before, Pasuk men, right? Right? So the, the um, pillar of smoke that there was a signal comes up from the city. Just what happened at Ai. They turned around, they saw their city is burning. And the children of Israel turned around at that point. They saw they're trapped between their burning city, where there's troops in there destroying the city, and the people that they thought were running away who turned on them now, and they're trapped in the middle. Membet. And they turned from before the children of Israel towards the desert to run away. And the war uh, caught up with them. And those from the cities were destroying them amongst them. Mem Gimel becomes a little poetic here, which is it's also very, very sad. Kitruit Binyamin, they surrounded Binyamin. Herdifu, they, they pursued him. Right, the place where they thought they had rest, they they chased them to the east. Right, they destroyed them towards Giba. And the at that point, eighteen thousand people of Binyamin warriors were killed. Now the total was twenty six, but at different stages, different amounts were killed. So this is from the uh, the Ololot. They went after them. Now it looks as if the war, you know, mobs and war have their own dynamic. So it became no longer let's destroy the evil from Binyamin. It became let's eradicate Binyamin. They're chasing them. They're running away. They chase them. They pick them off by Luhu and the paths, and they chase them until different places get on, right? And they struck another two thousand men. Pasuk Memva Vayehi Kol Anofu BeBinyamin Esrim Achamisha Elokish Sholeif Chereb Ayoma Who Is Kol Ela and Shechaya. It's, it's such a tragedy. They, another 26, uh, the total is 25,000 of Binyamin. They ran away to the desert to a rock called Selarimon. 600 men, that's all that remained of Binyamin. And they've just lost the plot. You know, what happened to Binyamin Achi? They were back and they destroyed everyone in the cities. There's no one left except these 600 men of Binyamin. Um, it is almost like no way to say anything after this, you know, Binyamin is, they just kind of, 
lost their the goal that they wanted to to find and they just went you know it's it's like i said there's a certain dynamic that you can't just start a war you know war is uh get at hand and uh here we have these brothers killing each other twice they say and then they go after them as if they were the enemy like i said jews are our own worst enemies I'm going to stop the screen share here. So what's, what do we take out of this? First of all, like I said, the worst tragic thing is when brothers turn on each other, the most terrible thing. And, you know, I, I feel so strongly that it's sort of so ironic that we're learning this at this time. There's like tremendous division in the country. In Israel, there's so much... Um, terrible rhetoric and terrible disloyalty and you know you know where we need you know we need that unity we need that those leaders you see what happens when there's no leaders and at the you know the next chapter the last the final chapter you know they're hiding out 600 men are hiding out for four months and when the winds die down, the Jewish people wake up from this nightmare and say, what have we done? What have we done? And it's too late because, you know, the, the grand total here was 65,000 dead Jews. And it's an unbelievable tragedy. Let's just, you know, this is to me the, probably the worst story of the Tanakh, the most upsetting, the most horrible story. And when we see what's going on today, to me, it's very, and it's really, I have this horrible, you know, you know, impression of those, those brothers, like we're supposed to be brothers, right? Yosef goes looking for his brother and the Jewish people act like brothers to each other. That's, that's what Hashem is happy with. When they don't, Hashem is like, okay, deal with it. You deal with it. Hashem accepts the tshuva when they fast and they repent and they say, what? But really, Hashem is not on board with this whole thing. And he kind of lets them, you know, okay. When Hashem withdraws, right? He withdraws his Ashkaho, all kinds of terrible things happen. I think I went over time, so I'm sorry. But um, anybody have any questions? Yeah, well, I have a question. Okay, go ahead. Who is um, it? I'm supporting. Uh, um, I have a question regarding the, like, how is it that, um, so earlier you, you were saying about, like, Hashem was the one who, um, like, kind of endorsed it, but I guess, like, it wasn't really, they already decided, so I was curious about that, and, like, what, like, how are they, like, understanding, like, the, the like, how are we understand, like, how they talk to Hashem? Well, there's kind of three different discussions here about why did Hashem sort of let them lose the battle, not just once, but twice, right? And part of it is that, you know, Shakespeare's words, a pox on both your houses. Hashem is just angry. Like, what are you doing? Why don't you deal with this properly? So there is this element of God saying, okay, you know, you're just wrong. B'nai Israel are wrong. 
Benjamin are wrong. You're all wrong. The Israel should not have pushed themselves to deal with it, to say, give us the people, we'll kill them. The Benjamin were wrong in doubling down on in the crime that was committed. So God is angry at everybody. That's one thought. The other thought that the Gemara says, like, I don't, God is like, you didn't take on for my honor. You didn't protest the Pesel Micha. And now, you know, you're going to fight over this girl, go ahead. Right? So it's a similar thing. Now then there's this idea that they did not, they did not consult God. Their questions were more like, not should we do this, but how do we do this? And Hashem says, well, you made up your mind already. You know, we, we have a, a, an idea, but Derek Shadam, the way you want to do it, because you know you want to go to war, go to war. And you're asking me how to do it? Okay, let Yehuda go first. You want to go again? Go again. But nobody, until the third time, until they're fasting, making sacrifices, crying before God in Shuba, nobody actually says, should we do this? Should we stop? Should we do this or should we stop? And then God says, okay, now you could do it, you'll win. But even when God gives them sanction to do it, they overdo it. They don't punish Binyamin, they destroy Binyamin. They're in, the, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not surprising to me that God is just like, I don't wanna be part of this story. Just you ask me, I'll tell you, but you didn't ask me the right question. You're, didn't, you're not behaving the right way. This whole thing is a big mess. And you're, you know, and, and um, I don't wanna be part of it. Like just deal. It seems to be Hashem's reaction. Like, you know, the Malbim talks about this, that the first punishment that God does is to withdraw. Deal with it on your own. When God removes his providence and his hashgacha, right, anything can happen. That's the first punishment. He's not actively punishing us. He's just saying, okay, see what you could do on your own. That's according to the Malbim, the stages of God's anger. The first stage is like, uh, uh, you know, deal with it yourselves. Let's see what happens. And the second stage is when God actively punishes, which we don't want to get there. So, yeah. It just seems very um, senseless. Obviously, the whole thing is senseless and, and, and stupid. But um, you did mention that, that Pinchas was there. Like, I don't understand. Like, where was his, like, what happened there? What happened? Ehud ben It seems to me that he's mentioned to say, you could have done something. Where were you? I think it's personally, I think it's a criticism of Pinchas. Pinchas ben Elizabeth and Aaron a Cohen. Aaron, the big peacekeeper. Where right. were you, Pinchas? Why didn't you put a stop to this? But also, who was this lady that he had such power to make? I, I don't understand. Like, I mean, it's an awful story, obviously. But like, to get the whole nation riled up like in that way and to condemn a whole tribe because of a bunch of evil people. I don't, well, I don't they understand. They it, condemned. it was like a bloodlust. It takes over. It's, it's like group, it's like groupthink. They're all doing but, it. Right. But they had to get to that frenzy. Like they had to, they had to decide 
this tribe has done to get there. Like they were all, so many of them against this one tribe. I don't understand like, until like, the third who was this lady like who the heck was he that he was so like why did they listen to him he sounds like such an idiot he sub suppresses all of his own culpability he doesn't say like he's just a, in his story he's a tzaddik he's a victim he doesn't say anything that he does okay and let's say even if he is a victim let's say he's a victim I, I still don't understand, like, if he said, you know, every single one of this tribe got up and they all like did this and that, like, it, it's a bunch of people, it's like a group of people, a very bad people. How did it yeah, but get there? But I want to, I don't know who asked the first question, but I, I think maybe she only asked how the Ulimatumim were working. Am I right or wrong? Sipoa, what were you asking? Um, I was asking, yeah, first, like, how were they, how were they communicating with Hashem exactly? But were there like ways of talking with Hashem? Like, was there for two memes? Was that we're all like, it's just we understand it today, or like biblical? Oh, I'm like, sorry. How did they talk to Hashem? Thank you, Ruthie. So there seems to have been a number of ways, but the Kohen Gadol had the, the Urim Batum, the Choshen was the, the breastplate with the stones on it. And this is how Kodesh communicated because each stone represented a tribe. Then there's mentioned earlier in the Perak about a lottery. A lottery is another way of communicating with God because God will make the lottery result what he wants it to be. That's assuming that they're in the presence of the Kohen Gadol, the Aron, because these objects have that connection to God. So the lottery is considered to be before God. So these are the, the things that, you know, so it's mentioned that the Aron is there, that the Kohen Gadol is there, Pinchas. So the, the lottery, everything is supposed to be al pi Hashem. So that's, that's what makes it the most difficult thing because if Hashem is telling them, you know, go to war and they lose, then that's a very big confusion, you know, theologically. How could God tell them to do something that's not going to work? So that's, that's what all the Mepharshim are troubled with. And they say, well, they, they didn't say, should we go? They said, who should go first? It was a done deal. They had no intention of asking God. So God said, okay, go. So that, that's one of the big problems. The other problem is God says, well, you're, you're fighting for the glory of this girl, for the honor of this girl. What about my honor? Pesel Micha went on for hundreds of years and no one said anything. No one was defending God's honor. Pesel Micha went on for how long? For hundreds of years. According to Chazal, it went on. It started at the beginning of the time because that's when Don uh, conquered Laish, uh, Leshem up north, and it went on until Shiloh was destroyed. That's 300, 300 years. For 300 years, this shrine is up there in Don, and people are worshiping this uh, Avodah Zarah. And um, it was a, for a time, it was near, even near Shiloh when it was with Micha, it was near Shiloh. And the Gemara says, I, I, I have that Gemara for you, 
that the smoke from Shiloh mingled with the smoke of the offerings to Micha. That's how close they were. Like if you really wanted to worship and you went to, you went as far as, as Micha, you could have gone already to Shiloh. So there's a number, it's a very, very, this is a difficult story. It's just, there's no, you know. And they try to repair the damage to Binyamin. They try to figure out how to repair the damage. But like, we're just left with this like bad taste in our mouths. Like, really? Really, there's no enemies there? Jews just did this to each other? It's just so sad. So Can I ask a question? Kami? Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, like, does there any like explanations, like Chaval explanations, how they got to this point where they're, the whole Pilegish Bagivas story is the most horrible story? Like, how do they get to 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 be like Sdom? Like, what happened there? So like you, there's supposed to have been a Kanani custom to attack travelers and that the the body of the traveler was fair game. This was an evil and prevalent custom that stone was part of. So, you know, the Jewish thing, what Avraham, you know, put out there was like, we, we, we welcome guests, we take care of us, we, you know, and Lodes had taken that part of Abram's teaching and say, no, we have to take care of guests. So much so that he went to the point of like, I'll give you my daughters, just don't hurt my guests, which is a complete perversion of what it should be. But it seems as if this was a Kanani custom. So one of the things we talk about is that everyone was doing what they wanted. They took on these customs of these evil people, of the pagans. The whole beginning of Sefer Shoftim, Perak Aleph and Perak Bet, particularly Perak Aleph, is telling us that they didn't get rid of this cancer in their midst. And it's fine. We get along very nicely. And why don't you just, you know, bow down to my little idol here? And while we're having our idolatrous practice, we do a lot of, you know, sexual perversion on the side. And we do a lot of, you know, cruelty on the side. And that's that was the Kanani. They were pagan they were barbaric and this was their customs and so some of these seeped into jewish towns and it was something that needed to be eradicated that, that that's the the strength of the jewish people is the the amount of what do you kids call it goal the amount of disgust the, the whole nation was repulsed and horrified so much that 400,000 people is not a normal number it's like an enormous amount of people can't even picture such a crowd. They were just like, how the heck can we put up with such a thing? That is actually, to me, that's a strength of the Jewish people. Like, you know, this kind of sickness, we got to get rid of it. That's not, that's not right. That's not Jewish. It's a chil Hashem. So that's the good part. The fact that it happened, you know, there were bad guys. There's always going to be bad guys. Like there's so many warriors that are mentioned. Like they could have just taken a group of 30 warriors and they could have gone there, found these evil guys and just like killed them. Done. That makes a statement. Anyone who decides to act this way, 
there's consequence. Who is going to do that? That's the, the that's the part that they take sense. warriors from every tribe. Uh, the Bnei Yamin were resistant. The Bnei Binyamin should have taken care of it. So the right, but you the said that they never spoke. This they, seems they never to be, This seems to be clear from a different refarshim that the leaders of the tribe of Binyamin were the ones who should have said, we'll deal with it. Right. It's on our watch, it's our people, we'll deal with it. But instead they say, don't tell us what to do. You gotta make us do it. Like it's, they sound like the mafia. To me, it all sounds like the mafia, like the B'nai Dun. You be quiet because evil people might hurt you. They tell Micha. Just be quiet. So the B'nai Dun are doing a similar kind of thing. Like, don't bother us. Don't tell us what to do. You want to make us do something? Uh, make us do it. Nobody wins here. No winners. No good guys. Just, just Jews, uh, you know, getting it wrong. We sound very primitive. Pilegish is a very primitive thing. One of the things that I think is a lesson from the story is that um, women should not be treated like, you know, like Pilek Shim were treated. Like he has no respect for her. He has no respect for her. He doesn't care about her. This is the whole institution of Pilegish is very problematic. And I think that one of the lessons that came out of this story is that, you know, you don't hear much about Pilek Shim after this, only like kings had Pilek Shim. Ordinary people don't have Pilek. I don't think so. I, I, I would be hard put to it to find another story after Shoftim where a person who was not a king had a Pilegish. It just, it just went It's out. so perverted. On the one hand, she's so mistreated and horribly raped by a group. And then on the other hand, the whole, all the tribes are like horrified and they're going to you know, make a it, war because too, of Rana. It Rana's. was too much for them to think about a Jewish town acting like stone. The parallels to stone are very intense. I'll say, well, we can't have that. I don't think, you know, they thought about her as a human being. It was just like, what, did we become like stone? We can't be like stone. We can't allow such a thing to happen. And that was, uh, you know, that their... Again, you know, uh, you know what they say about good intentions. Do you know what they say about good intentions? The I always <laughs> wonder if you guys, you Israelis, know the American expressions. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, not a good one. So next week, I'll put it on the chat. Next week is Purim, right. so there's no shear. The week after that, we're going to have a shear. It's going to be a siyam. We're going to bring our schnapps and our cake, and we're going to like make a chayim together. And um, the week after that is before Rosh Chodesh. So um, we could actually have a class, but I don't, don't want to start a new sefer before Pesach because it's too much of a gap. After Pesach, Bezrat Hashem, I plan to start Shmuel Aleph which is a much more fun ride than Shoftim. <laughs> Shoftim has a lot of great stories in it. 
but Shmuel is, uh, yeah. Shmuel but maybe is. you can like not summarize. You can't summarize Shoftim, but maybe we can have a class where we talk about the different things we can take away from this book because like you kind of feel, you feel dizzy at the end of it. Like yeah. it, it's like how did Shimshon and like this happen in the same book? It's just madness. I went to the cover of Shimshon. I was so happy. I really connected. I was very happy. <laughs> yeah. He was such a you know, he had such a tragic end, but he was such a gibor. He was such a selfless leader, right? Yeah. But you're right. Okay, so that, that I want to take ideas. You can put on the chat what you want to do if you want to have a shio that night. Um, it's like, I don't remember the date. I'll tell you the date. Uh, okay. So Maybe you could also do it about seventh, The 7th of March. The 14th, we're making our siyam. The 21st, we could still have a class, but I don't want to start, I don't want to start Shmuel then. I want to start Shmuel after Pesach. So we have to figure out on the 21st of March, A, if we want to have a class, B, does it want to be a Navi class? I mean, Marguerite wrote something on the chat about a uh, pre-Pesach class. I don't know what- I, You know what? I think that um, because I'm doing um, something with daddy on Sunday that is parallel to this Tkufa, I think that it, it feels when you end this safer that it's very negative. Like you come out feeling very negative about the people in those days. I mean, I don't know if we have such a right to speak. We have plenty of what to work on, but I think that if we can somehow um, come out um, understanding that all these stories were not meant to just for us to sit here going, oh my gosh, that's the worst. I'm so shocked. I'm so like, what can we actually learn from this and how it took a turn up because as daddy spoke about uh, Megillah's Ruth, which is like the same time it, it takes place in, in Shoftim during Shoftim, when you start that Megillah at the beginning, it's it's so negative. It's like during these times when, like you said, and Melech Beisrael, everyone's doing whatever they want and like kind of doing what they're supposed to do, but there's like there's a lack of of, of Torah. There's a lack of, of 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 meaning to what they're doing. Um, but at the end of the book, it ends with a lot of chesed. And so when, you know, Ruth actually ends up leading us towards um, David HaMelech and Mashiach and all that. So it kind of ends on a, on, a, on a high note. So maybe if we can just discuss a few lessons. You've always mentioned lessons during the, the, the classes, but maybe if we can just the, summarize the lessons. The idea applies to the story of Ruth as well. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's the same tkufa. It's the time of the Shoftim. Yeah. And Eli Melech wouldn't have left, you know, if he had a king to say, okay, Eli Melech, you know, you're going to have to come forward now because you, or the king would have done something else or prevented this, you know, him from leaving the country, something. The king might have been able to fix things there. And uh, no, but there was the same, the same rotten. What? the same rotten thing that was happening that you said, like there was something rotten going on, you know, uh, whether it was the Abu Zara, the Pilegesh, all these different things. It was something rotten going on. And at the same time, you had many cities that actually kept the Torah and kept living as if nothing was going on. So on the one hand, you had somebody like Elimelech, technically he was 
not a bad guy. He was doing what he, the reason he left was because he just had enough of, of poor people knocking on his door. He didn't want to deal with that tzedakah, with that chesed, which is just awful. And it just leads to all these other things. But it's almost like they missed the boat. There was like a lack of something going on. They were all busy. The stories, those, the three stories, that is Pesach, Pilagish Pagiva, and the story of Ruth, there are three stories that kind of say Ein Melch Yisrael, but, but the story of Ruth is so different because Sachakol, they're following halacha, the poor people go to do the, you know, the Leket Shechabeya, they do have, right. you know, you know uh, Torah values in, in place, you know, there's a Geulat Adama that they're working on, there's things about, and it's also interesting, it's different tribes, because the tribe of Yehuda is very, um, the tribe of Yehuda is very straightforward. They're doing a lot of uh, um, Torah mitzvot. You know, Binyamin is with this mess. You know, Ephraim's got a mess. Don is corrupt. So like every tribe is, is a different story. It's it's true, but it's also at the same time that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, which is another thing that daddy said, they were all um, finding their place in Israel. They were all working the land, which is like an incredible mitzvah. They were all um, busy with their nachalot and they were all like busy, like making their, um, uh, you know, like uh, uh, um, building a home in Israel and creating this country for Jewish people. And at the same time, you, they couldn't find time to, to give Yoshua proper burial. Like it was like they missed the boat on, on some things. Like this man, because of this great man, you actually have Israel. You actually have all, you know, the land. He fought the wars with you. He did Yericho, he did this and that. And you couldn't take the time to bury him properly and mourn him and, and, and sit Shiva. You know, they didn't, they couldn't do that. They were too busy, um, you know, doing their, their vines and their, um, um, planting their so olive trees. What do we learn? You say that this is what we learn. We learn that you, you know, having Hakar Sato to someone who helped you, you know, giving, you know, feeling the, the, the mourning of a great person who dies. These are all Torah values. We're learning Torah values, the value of when you are, you know, um, serving a Kaddish Baruch who should be true and pure and no other outside influences and that <coughs> that you have to um, defend Torah values and that you have to be united and that um, we can't everybody do what they want. We need to have that melech in Israel. We need to have that leadership. That's, I think, one of the main takeaways. We need to have proper leaders. I don't think you have to go too far to look around and see what a good leader can accomplish, what a strong leader can accomplish. And then, of course, there's always the interpretation, Aid Melch Israel, there's no God in Israel. In those days, people didn't, didn't connect to God enough, and that's why these things happen. Like you said, that even though they were worshiping... That's why I feel very much that Shoftim is the most yeah. contemporary safer. Shoftim, I feel some of the things that happen in Shoftim, just look around. We're stuck with this population that's a total, you know, negative influence here. 
right? There's people who are completely swept up in, you know, their cause as opposed to our cause. They are, you know, a fifth column. Nothing really we could do about it, but we have to deal with that. The, the tensions between the parts of the Jewish people are things that we also have to deal with today. The confusion around religion is something we have to deal with today. People think, oh, you know, this, you know, the more machmi you are, the more holy you are. And these people who think that, you know, the more liberal you are, the more holy you are. We're dealing with all these issues. None of these issues are new. They, they're from time immemorial. And that's why I feel like, you know, a lot of the stories that happen in Tanakh, like, don't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily feel like, but look at this, look at this, you know, Shalone Da, the, the idea of civil war there, like, horrific, horrific. And you have, you have situations where people say, you know, we're not listening to your government. We're going to do what we want. Isha Yashar Ben Aviyah said. 